Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skipped On Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the Stevie Ray Vaughan song, Life Without You, from his 1985 album, Soul to Soul. So I think it's fair to say that Stevie Ray Vaughan is kind of this mythical figure for being this kind of larger than life guy. I mean, he's from Texas and anytime you see a picture of him, you know, it's, you know, giant hat. He's got this big, thick guitar strap with huge musical notes on it. I mean, he, he like has this whole look and, and it fits in with the whole, you know, everything's, everything's bigger in Texas <laughs> kind of deal. And also just the, the flash in the panness of, um, here's this phenomenal blues guitar player who, even though he had an early career, basically as far as recordings go from pretty much 83, to to ninety is is all that exists. So this short, you know, seven years as um, a popular musician, even though he he did you know he did his time in clubs and things and behind the scenes, but probably as far as like a mainstream artist goes, you know, wasn't around very long and left a pretty big impression, I think, on on a lot of people, including ourselves. Yeah, I think I think that the word popular is is the most notable word for for Stevie Ray Vaughan, considering that he's playing a type of music that is not popular especially at the time when he's coming up uh, you know you imagine the 80s the, the last thing you think of is like sweaty greasy blues rock you think of you know Depeche Mode and and Flock of Seagulls and In Excess and these like you know like 80s synthy you know glossy pop songs and then you have this like you know dirty poor kid from Texas coming up playing this like crazy blues music. So it's, it's even if you ignore the fact that Stevie Ray Vaughan is like this, like, like you were describing like this, you know, this, this bigger than life, you know, out of this world guitar player that seemed to come out of nowhere. Even if you ignore that, you still have to give him credit to the fact that he helped revitalize a, a style of music that at this point in time is not popular at all. As we mentioned, Steve Ray Vaughn's from Texas. He has an older brother, Jimmy, who he very much looks up to. And his older brother plays guitar and is playing music in all these uh, bands. Steve Ray Vaughn, he's listening to a ton of blues music, very inspired by everybody from kind of the classics, Albert King, B.B. King, Muddy Waters, as well as more modern, well, not at the time modern, uh, but people who transformed blues music in certain ways, people like Jimi Hendrix, for instance. So he's listening to all these people, he's seeing his brother out and playing, uh, and he's really inspired, and he ends up getting a guitar at a pretty early age, like around six or seven years old. He picks up a guitar, starts playing it, starts trying to be like his brother, and emulate these people. 
he's playing a lot by ear. He doesn't know how to read music. He's never had any kind of like formal uh, music training. So everything that C. Ray Vaughn learns is pretty much just by practicing on the guitar and listening to, to these people. Come to his teenage years, uh, he's working probably, you know, similar jobs to that we all work is, you know, he has a kind of crappy restaurant job that he describes going there. And one day they sent him out to take out the trash or, or do something in the dumpsters behind the restaurant. And he ends up slipping and falling in grease and his manager is all pissed off at him. And he basically decides I never want to do this and I never want to have another job. All I want to do is play guitar. And that's what I'm going to do. So this is in his early teen years. He ends up eventually a few years later dropping out of high school and moving to Austin, Texas, where he feels like he'll have a better start with the the kind of blues he wants to play, which we should probably talk about a little bit. It's a Texas style of blues, Texas shuffle. There's no way to describe it as opposed to just if you if you picture kind of like the slow blues, this is not that. This is a very, <laughs> you know, energetic shuffle that is happening uh pretty much any steve ray vaughn song you throw on you'll you'll just feel like the energy and want to like you know tap your foot and dance along that kind of thing you can imagine how unexcited your parents might be if you were to be a teenager and tell them listen i'm never going to work another job again and i'm going to move away and i'm going to be a famous musician and i'm going to do all this stuff you can imagine how upset your parents would probably be if you were to tell them that but imagine telling that to a alcoholic abusive father who has inflicted you know a fair amount of, of, of violence onto you and to your brother uh, and possibly to other members of, of the family and the community. You couple that together and, and it probably was not like the the most smooth transition for Stevie Ray to, to decide he's going to leave home and go do this stuff. Cause he did, he did grow up around this, you know, this, uh, this, this alcoholism and, 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 and addiction and problems like that. And that's going to factor in later in life with, with, with Stevie, because it's going to, it's going to come back to kind of haunt him. But yeah, but he, he decides he's, he's not going to work again. And he goes and goes to, to Austin, does it? And we don't want to spoil it for you, but he does not work again. He actually does <laughs> achieve. He, he actually is a, the anomaly who says, guess, what mom and dad i'm moving away and i'm gonna be a star and he does become one it's pretty it's pretty interesting <laughs> so throughout the early 70s he's playing with all these different bands in the austin music scene gaining reputation for himself at least locally uh in the mid 70s he plays in a six-piece band called paul ray and the cobras he decides he wants a little bit smaller of a band to be playing in but was you know getting recognized at that time so he puts together this band called triple threat review in which he is not the singer. He's just playing guitar. And they're gaining some popularity. But then that lead singer that he has, Lou Ann Barton, ends up leaving. He decides not to replace the singer. He decides just to become the singer himself. So he forms a band called Double Trouble with himself as lead singer and guitarist, along with bass player Tommy Shannon and drummer Chris Layton. And those are the two people who will continue to play with him throughout his professional career. So Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble, they're playing these clubs, earning a name for themselves. Uh, it's also around here that Stevie's uh, drug and drinking troubles start to sort of catch up with him. He's arrested at some point, and he's put on probation, and he can't leave the state to tour or go anywhere. His probation officer ends up getting him out of that. And that eventually leads to an opportunity for them to go and play at the Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland, which is a pretty prestigious 
place to be going and playing, especially for somebody who has no record contract. It's also around this time that he at least they get a manager. So they're kind of getting the pieces together to to be uh, professional career musicians. Uh, but this opportunity gives them uh, a huge break that ends up leading into all kinds of great things for uh, Steve Ray Vaughan and this band. The Montreux Jazz Festival is is called a jazz festival because it's a jazz festival. And Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble are, are decidedly not a jazz band. However, there is a blues night that they have at Montreux, and that's where Stevie Ray and Double Trouble play. And Stevie Ray consciously, he drapes blankets over all their amplifiers and turns everything down to try and, you know, play to the audience and not try and blow their ears off like he would do in Texas, where, you know, like we said, everything's big and loud and dirty and weird and whatever. So he 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 turns down and he tries to play to the audience a little bit, but he's also Stevie Ray Vaughan. So he's, you know, ripping and shredding and playing all these, you know, really difficult guitar parts and getting all sweaty and running around the stage and just being Stevie Ray. And he gets booed. Like, you know, according to him and according to people that were there, it wasn't like an intense booing. It wasn't like the fabled time that Dylan played at the Newport Folk Festival or, you know, something on the level of like being booed off the stage. But there were definitely people in the audience who were like, this is too loud. This is too noisy. This is too rollicking. I'm here for the jazz festival kind of thing. And it, it really upset Stevie Ray. And he actually walked off the stage and went backstage and kind of put his head in his hands and, you know, felt that it was a little bit of a disappointment for him, you know, to come all that way and, and have it be that disappointing. However, this ended up being the biggest break of, of his entire career as uh, the the festival was attended by very uh, popular musicians, including Jackson Brown and David Bowie. And Jackson Brown actually came up to Double Trouble afterwards and uh, jammed with them for a little bit and hung out and really got to know them and invited them back to his own personal studio so they could record some tracks for themselves because as you mentioned at the beginning of this 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 roundup here, they, they still had no record label, they had no album, they had nothing. So Jackson Brown's like, hey, you know, why don't you come and hang out with me and do some recording with with my home studio? And uh, also in attendance was David Bowie, who came up to Stevie Ray later on and said, hey, like I want you to play on some of my records and I want to do some work with you, whatever. So this ends up being like a huge opportunity for them, even though it was kind of a disappointing performance as far as Stevie Ray was concerned and the audience, you know, some of the audience were concerned as well. So Steve Ray Vaughan takes advantage of this opportunity to play with David Bowie. I mean, this is David Bowie. Bowie. (laughs) Uh, So he plays on the Let's Dance album, which he plays on songs like China Girl and the title track. I mean, this was a huge record for Bowie. So he records with him. Bowie's album comes out. It's a massive hit. Bowie decides, I'd really like to take Steve Ray Vaughan with me uh, out on tour to, to promote this record. So he offers Steve Ray Vaughan the chance to go and do this massive world tour with him. And Steve Ray Vaughan actually turns him down, uh, decides not to do the tour. And again, he has no record out. <laughs> so this is a pretty crazy decision to, to make as a musician and kind of speaks to Steve Ray Vaughan just being guided by what he wants to do rather than this kind of fame he just wants to play his stuff the way he wants to rather than go out and you know play bowie songs basically he wants to play his songs he wants to play blues and the stuff that he loves so there's also a little bit of as we mentioned before steve ray vaughn's drinking drug use that might also kind of have been a factor into kind of butting heads with bowie a little bit bowie having been clean and sober for a while now i'm sure that also didn't really complement the mechanics of you know having this big world tour that you're going out on where you know if 
you have an issue with someone in the band, it's going to be a pretty big problem. So it's not too clear exactly what happens, but essentially Steve Ray Vaughan decides not to do this. In the meantime, between recording with Bowie and the rehearsals for the Serious Moonlight tour, that was the the Bowie tour that he left, uh, they... Steve Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble, they go into Jackson Brown studio and do the recordings uh, that would lay the groundwork for what would be their debut album, Texas Flood. Based on the demos they have recorded with Jackson Brown, they're starting to attract a lot of attention. So they end up getting a record label and they record Texas Flood essentially as a live album. They record it in like two days, lay down all the tracks. It comes out and it ends up being a pretty big hit and launching Steve Ray Vaughan's career. So this was on the power of songs like Pride and Joy. And also the other single from that album that also had a music video that played on MTV that also brought him some extra attention, and that song was Love Struck Baby. Texas Flood ends up being a, a pretty big hit for Steve Ray Vaughan, and he ends up not only attracting a lot of blues fans, but also a lot of rock fans as well, because when you listen to him, there is a lot of pretty easy crossover between the two, especially the the way that Steve Ray Vaughan plays, which is this very just virtuoso kind of style, using a lot of things that you'll hear in other rock music, like you know, using the whammy bar, uh, you know, a lot of bends and crazy licks and things that wah wah pedal. So things that you no, you would normally associate with with rock people more so than than a lot of blues people necessarily. The album's a big hit, so they immediately go out on the road and they're playing all these places, and people are going crazy for them. And because of how quickly all this happened, people kind of have no idea who they are. Uh, it's pretty interesting because they also end up touring with the Moody Blues which doesn't really seem like it would make sense, <laughs> uh, but at least gave them a chance to play in a lot larger venues than they would otherwise have access to at this point. Uh, so they really enjoy that. They do the show Austin City Limits. They play at the Beacon Theater in New York. Uh, so people are really starting to, to learn their name and go crazy for them. So they do this big tour and they end up getting in the studio back in the studio pretty quickly to record their follow-up which would be 1984's couldn't stand the weather so this is a bit more of a professional recording they have a lot more time to write and plan things out they're working with john hammond who's a pretty well-known music guy so this is all kind of a step up from just sort of the the quick and dirty style of texas flood but it still retains that definite raw Steve Ray Vaughan thing that you can hear throughout all the tracks, especially on stuff like Cold Shot. Once was a sweet thing to hear. Held on 
Steve Ray Vaughan, as we mentioned, being, you know, blues guy, he does revere Jimi Hendrix and also on Couldn't Stand the Weather is a cover of uh, Hendrix's Voodoo Child, which basically if if you listen to the two, you would be like, this is the reincarnation (laughs) uh, of Jimi Hendrix. And I think it was really tracks like that that probably drew a much wider audience, especially a younger audience. Yeah, to Steve Ray Vaughan, people who, you know, are obviously familiar with Hendrix and probably maybe in a little bit more of uh, uh, have a more of a rock interest than necessarily like blues. So this also helps that kind of crossover that he's making. Couldn't stand the weather ends up being another big hit for Steve Ray Vaughan. The band goes back out on tour. So basically there's this cycle of releasing an album, touring, releasing an album, touring, and they get right back in the studio in 1985 and record uh, the album soul to soul Probably one of the more well-known tracks on that album is Looking Out the Window. Well, I'm looking at the window. I'm looking at you. Yeah, I'm looking out the window. I'm looking at you. Well, I'm dreaming all the sweet dreams and the memories of the past. Uh, this album is also where our uh, today's track comes from. And also, interestingly, on this album, Steve Ray Vaughan's playing a lot of covers. is a lot less original material than on some of the other albums. And he also adds a keyboardist to the band, Reese Winans. And a little bit from what I read is basically Steve Ray Vaughan was getting tired at this point. We, we've mentioned a few times now about how drugs and alcohol are a factor. Those things are really starting to catch up with him and beginning to be detrimental to his health and his ability to continue writing music and recording and playing. And he ends up adding a keyboardist because he feels like he needs something to fill in the sound a little bit because he doesn't feel being you know, the sole guitar player aside from bass and drums. He feels like he can't kind of keep up or fill in the space. So he ends up adding adding a keyboardist in there. So Soul to Soul comes out. It doesn't immediately do as well as the previous two records. People kind of start to say, is is this basically just done? Is Steve Ray Vaughan finished? He's you know not playing nearly as well as he used to. The band is obviously exhausted from the cycle of recording and touring. And as I mentioned, his drugs start catching up with him. So he's on tour in Europe, gets tremendously sick, starts throwing up blood. Finally goes to a doctor and the doctor is basically like, look, you're exhausted. You're drinking whiskey starting at, you know, from the time you wake up. He's also doing a lot of cocaine where he's putting cocaine in the whiskey that ends up just what tearing. Hell, uh, like, yeah, <laughs> it ends up tearing apart his inside. So the doctor is basically like, if you don't stop this now, you're you're going to die. Like in a very short time, you'll continue to get very sick and die. So it's a big wake up call for Steve Ray Vaughan. So he says, okay, I need to get my life together. I need to get clean. So they end up coming back to the United States. Steve Ray Vaughan goes into rehab and comes out clean and sober, a brand new man. 
And he also, during this time, it's probably important to mention, he had married in the 70s uh, to his wife, Lenny, who, if you're familiar with that, Steve Ray, that amazing track that's on the first album uh, that's named after her. So he ends up also divorcing her at this time. And she's also kind of a hardcore partier. So I'm sure that played a factor in the divorce as well. But it's important to mention the divorce, not only for Steve Ray Vaughan getting clean and sober, but also because of the legality and the divorce proceedings, he's not able to record any music basically until this divorce is settled. So there's this kind of couple year hiatus between him getting clean and also getting, you know, these affairs in order from, from the end of this marriage. Steve Ray Vaughan comes back on the music scene, fresh, clean, ready to start recording and playing. And in uh, 1989, he comes out with his album in step. And one of the notable tracks from this one is the song crossfire. So he's got his mojo back, so to speak. He does this album. He also records an album with his brother, which will come out later. So he's really getting his credibility back. His you know life is back in order and out on tour. And that's when an incredible tragedy happens. And Steve Ray Vaughan dies in a very freak helicopter accident. So he's playing a show out in Wisconsin that's... There's this all-star jam at the end. He's At the time, he's touring with Joe Cocker, and all these blues people are there. Eric Clapton, they, they are jamming. The concert ends, and everyone's figuring out how to go home. They have a couple helicopters there that people are taking to fly back to, I think it's Chicago. And Steve Ray Vaughan just arbitrarily says, like, oh, I'll you know hop on this, this helicopter to fly back home. The helicopter takes off. It's super foggy out. They, the pilot ends up crashing into basically like the side of a hill or mountain that's there, uh, killing everyone aboard. And that is the tragic end of Steve Ray Vaughn. So after getting clean and sober and reinvigorating his career, just completely unbelievable that that's you know where, where Steve Ray Vaughn's story ends. After his death, the album that he recorded with his brother comes out. There's also another posthumous album, The Sky is Crying, filled with uh, demos and unreleased things that he recorded during his time with Double Trouble, mostly from the earlier years. Uh, I think around 83 to 85 is where most of those tracks are, are culled from. And uh, since then, there's been a variety of uh, live releases, box sets, that kind of thing. Basically, everything, every note that Steve Ray Vaughan has played <laughs> has probably been released at this point. But let us jump back to uh, 1985 and that Soul to Soul album for our song today, Life Without You. <laughs> We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skipped on shuffle. 
Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. We mentioned earlier that Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble at this time recording the Soul to Soul record are exhausted. They've been touring, they've been recording, they've been running around the world doing all these shows and promotional performances and all that. And they're just, you know, they're tired and exhausted and and Stevie Ray Vaughan's drinking and drug habit is is basically out of control. So they're they're really tired. But it should also be mentioned that they're not just exhausted from, you know, being musicians and trying to play the music and, and record and all that, but they're also a little exhausted because they have to prove themselves a little bit harder than maybe some of their contemporaries do in the blues world. That's because Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble are white players in a predominantly black culture. The blues music uh, culture is is... I mean, all the famous greats, you know, like you mentioned, we had the Albert King, we had B.B. King, uh, we have the, you know, one of the original blues players, Robert Johnson, almost everybody you can pick out that'll be like a legendary blues performer is most likely going to be black. And uh, I actually even have a quote here from B.B. King mentioning the fact that Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble are white and how that makes them stand out a little bit amongst their amongst their peers. So this quote is from B.B. King, who said, I've said that playing the blues is like having to be black twice. Stevie Ray Vaughan missed on both counts, but I never noticed. So we can interpret that as basically B.B. King saying, Stevie Ray Vaughan is a white guy playing music that's predominantly for black people and made by black people, but we accept him. We think he's doing a great job and, you know, uh, we love him and, and he's great and, you know, so on and so forth. But that didn't happen overnight. It's not like, it's not like Stevie Ray Vaughan just like popped up on the scene and everybody was like, oh, great, cool. You know, welcome to the club. It, it, it must've been a little bit more difficult to that. And, and we've also found some other quotes from Stevie Ray Vaughan himself, where he talks a bit about like, you know, the struggle and, and feeling a little bit out of place because he's, you know, stands out amongst the, amongst everybody else. And we, you know, Clapton kind of had a similar thing going on when he was coming up. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're a white player in, in blues, you, you do have to sort of set yourself apart a little bit more. So, you know, when they're making soul to soul, this is all coming down. Like they're exhausted from that. They're exhausted just from playing all the time. And they're exhausted from being around each other all the time. And they're also exhausted because Stevie Ray Vaughan is just out of his mind on drugs. And so that's, that kind of taints soul to soul. And it ends up being maybe his most, uh, of the four albums that he recorded while he was alive, it, it, it tends to be the one that people say is the weakest. But that doesn't mean that there's not great stuff going on here. And uh, as we'll talk about with uh, with this song, uh, "Life Without You," this uh, this is a standout track, not only on this album but also in his entire career. "Life Without You" is a pretty interesting track, I think, for a few reasons. One is at this point, even when Steve Ray Vaughan's doing his own writing and doing these blues covers everything's pretty general and applicable to different situations and this song is specifically coming from something very personal to him which was the death of a close friend of his uh, who had also worked on his guitars a guy by the name of charlie Wurz. he dies and steve ray vaughn essentially writes the song in tribute to him 
Uh, it's also interesting to think about this track because it's a bit more of a slow, bluesy ballad. And if you listen to all of Sir Ray Vaughan's albums, the final track on a lot of those tends to be a slower blues song and also tends to be an instrumental. So this is also the the con- concluding track on an album that's the only one that Sir Ray Vaughan releases that has uh, lyrics on it, which I just think is just kind of a, a little interesting thing that that makes it stand out a little bit. also an interesting song because a lot of it is a very self-aware song despite the couple things that have not happened yet in Steve Ray Vaughan's life so uh, life without you he says about this song that he was thinking about what drugs do to people how it kills their heart and also just life without you kind of thinking about his relationship which will dissolve in a year or two from now so it becomes this oddly kind of prophetic song not to mention just his you know own death you know coming in in five years uh so it ends up being i think not only a touching song for someone you know saying goodbye to their friend or thinking about that uh but also just for uh how how oddly it does seem to prophesize things that are coming in his life that he does not yet know about the lyrics can be interesting too, uh, in reference to uh, you. You were saying about like it being like kind of prophetic, uh, because most of the song is about you know uh, it's it's got pretty standard stuff about death and and moving on kind of thing. So you know the day is necessary every now and then for souls to move on, given life back again. And then he says, "We all have missed you and the way you grin. Fly on, my friend. Go on, live again, love again, all that stuff." But towards the end of the song, he says, "As the years go passing by." A long look in the mirror, we come face to face. And I think with that line, like you were saying, I think he's kind of referencing that, like, you know, this 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 friend of his who died by what we're assuming is complications with drugs because uh, he mentions when he's talking about the song, uh, you know, how this, this it reminds him about drug use and how drugs kill your heart and all that. I think with this mirror line, he's basically saying, I can see how... I have this same problem and I'm kind of staring death down myself. And as we mentioned earlier, after this album and after this tour, this is when he starts getting cleaned up and he goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, listen, you're going to, you're going to die. And, uh, you know, this, it kind of relates back to this track. I think, I mean, obviously we have no idea what was going on in Stevie Ray Vaughan's head at the time when he was getting this news from his doctor, but it could have been like, he's thought about this friend thought about this song and was like, wow, like I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be what somebody else is going to write songs about when it comes to this kind of thing. Like I got to get, I got to get clean and I got to get out of this. And he does, which is, you know, which is great. But I feel like this song with that mirror reference kind of brings it back to that. This is also an interesting song just because it could be taken as a goodbye to a friend, a goodbye to a lover, this kind of self-awareness reckoning that you're coming to, you know, this, this idea of self-realization that you mentioned. And there's also another just kind of weird thing about this track that's worth mentioning, which is on some of the releases, some of the lyrics are missing at the end of the song. So 
a lot of the time, if you've heard this song, especially with the the CD release, it, after what is the the final line, seemingly "Life Without You," there are a few other lines that are there that you know. Sometimes maybe you've heard them, sometimes you haven't. So the the actual last stanza of the song is "Life Without You." All the love you passed my way. The angels have waited for you so long. Now they have their way. Take your place. Which is interesting because when you cut those out, it makes the song a little bit more ambiguous, I think, and a bit more applicable to, to different situations. Whereas I think throwing that line in, there, even though there's love you passed my way, you're thinking of passed away. And also, you know, mentioning angels and things. I feel like the song before doesn't necessarily evoke death. It's just, you know, someone that's not in your life anymore. And I think it's weird that the, the lyrics here make it much more explicitly about death. And at some point, whether by accident or that it was part of the recording, something went wrong. I, I don't really know what the reasons are, but it's just weird that those final lines sort of disappear from a lot of the releases. I wasn't aware until we started doing research for this song and this album that uh, that this song wasn't about a, a relationship going awry. I, I assumed because I knew that he had divorced his wife uh, uh, when he was getting clean and sober. Like I knew the basic history of Stevie Ray Vaughan at the time that I was listening to this record for the first time. But it wasn't until we started doing research for this episode that I realized that the song isn't about uh, Lenny and him divorcing because that hadn't even happened yet when the album was uh, written and recorded. So this, you know, that kind of blew me away too i i thought the song was just traditional like i miss you babe you know you've been out of my life you know like the standard blue songs that that there's like half a dozen other stevie ray vaughn songs that evoke those similar those similar themes uh so finding out that this song is actually about the death of a friend really kind of changed my whole perspective about it so it was really interesting researching this this song and and this history because now i I, it it not only are we changing perspectives for people listening to Skipped on Shuffle about this song, but I totally, I was like, oh, this is this is pretty interesting. I had no idea. It's also a song that's a lot more spiritual. And Steve Ray Vaughan mentions this in, in terms of Jimi Hendrix, like what, you know, are the things that stand out about Jimi Hendrix. And he said, you know, in, in addition to the style of playing, which if you listen to a lot of Hendrix stuff and listen to Life Without You, you can definitely catch a lot of those similarities in style. Um, but also... Steve Ray Vaughan talks about how it seems Hendrix over the course of his career is going on this spiritual journey and he's becoming more awakened and enlightened to things about himself and the world as his music goes on. And I feel like we get such a quick glimpse of that with Steve Ray Vaughan where his career was so cut short that this song makes me wonder what Steve Ray Vaughan's eighth album or 10th album might have sounded like and where he might have gone with his sound because it seems like here he's thinking about exploring kind of different themes that he hasn't before this this song is much more I think evocative of different and, and more complex ideas about life and relationships than a lot of the standard like oh my baby left me kind of kind of songs and I I just like that this song gives us kind of a hint of some of the places that he might have gone, even though he goes back to the kind of standard blues rock formula on instep. We can also see that as just kind of a, a safety sort of thing where it's like, okay, I need to reclaim my status as, as a blues guitarist. But I feel like tracks like this show us a really unique side of, of him as, as not only a player, but also 
as a songwriter. And I feel like that's one of the things that I think gets overlooked with Steve Ray Vaughan is there's so much in the guitar playing and his stage presence and just that whole energy that we also forget, like, this guy is also a songwriter. music for me has always been a difficult thing to really get into. I, I, growing up, I found, you know, blues to be not boring, but repetitive. And, uh, you know, to, to have a blues song, you have to, you have to do certain things. And if you don't do those certain things, then it ceases to be a blues song. So it got kind of stuck in a formula that you, you either love or you hate. And uh, we, we were talking earlier about how most people who are consider themselves huge blues fans tend to be also blues musicians or just musicians in general. And I feel like blues tends to be the kind of thing that if you're not a musician, you might find kind of simple or like I said, repetitive. And growing up, when I was listening to blues music and trying to get into it, because you know, every you know, every time you talk to an older person when you're a musician as a kid, they're always like, "You got to go back to the blues. The blues is where it all began." And you're just like, "Oh, okay." You know, I'm trying to listen to Nirvana here. Like, I don't care about the blues music. You know, but then you go back and you listen to something like Led Zeppelin or the Stones or you know other bands from that era that or Hendrix, obviously, um, they're doing bluesy stuff, and you can hear it, but you also hear the rock. You hear how they took the formula of blues and skewed it a bit so that it's no longer blues and it becomes something else. And I always felt that going back to the quote unquote purity of blues was kind of like, I don't know, it was, it was kind of like eating a bland meal that inspired really, really great meals that I also really liked, you know? And I, so, so it's difficult for me to kind of develop a personal connection to blues music through that because of, of that. However, now that I'm older and now that I've listened to a lot more blues music and a lot more music in general, I do have a bigger appreciation for, for being constricted. It's kind of like if you, if you hand somebody a blank canvas and say, paint something and they're like, okay, what should I paint? You're like, oh, you can paint whatever you want. Just do whatever. Here's every color. Here's every paintbrush, do whatever. How you may not produce the greatest piece of art doing that because you have so much open-endedness. But when you hand somebody a piece of, of a painting and say, oh, you can only use these three colors. You have to paint this and you have to paint it like this or else it's not going to be good. Then you're kind of like stuck and you have to be creative because if you're not creative, then you're just going to create something boring. And now that I'm a little older, I appreciate that to stand out in blues music, you have to be different. You have to take it to another level, but still stay within the confines of blues music and how difficult that must be. And especially earlier when we mentioned how like the racial divide between Steve Ray Vaughan being a white performer and most blues performers not being white. Um, I, I think that that kind of creates like this this different perspective on on the music that he created and, and the struggles that he had to go through to get to where he was. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting and, and it, it creates, I feel like I've got more of a personal connection now to what Stevie Ray Vaughan and blues music is 
um, than I did when I was start, first started listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan when I was a kid, when somebody was like, oh, well, if you want to check out blues, then why don't you start here? Because this is a recent guy and he, you know, he inspired a lot of more recent guys and he's kind of crazy and he, he's got like this crazy stage presence that you'll really like or whatever. So as a kid listening to it, I didn't really develop that personal connection. But now as I get a little older, I, I I'm starting to get that connection a little bit more. So pretty soon I'm going to be that, that old blues guy who's telling little kids like, you got to get back to the blues. <laughs> Whenever I put on Steve Ray Vaughan, I inevitably just think of my dad. Uh, he's a, a, a fan of blues, especially like this this 80s revival of blues that Steve Ray Vaughan came from. Uh, and also one of, one of his other contemporaries, Robert Cray. So I remember my dad listening to Steve Ray Vaughan. I'm pretty sure he had a cassette, whether it was Texas Flood or Sky is Crying. I, I, I remember there being... Something like that in, in, in the house or in the car at some point in time. So whenever I listen to Steve Ray Vaughan, that's, that's usually the, the first person that I think of. Um, in reflecting on Steve Ray Vaughan, I think it's really interesting realizing sort of the influence he had on other guitar players that I love. And also, I, I think that's the cool thing about blues is that blues people never shy away from who their inspirations are, whether it's, you know, flat out being like, I, I was inspired by this person, this person, this person. Um, and also just in the song choices that they choose to play and they don't really hide any. I feel like a lot of times when you get someone, uh, uh, you know, a new band comes out and they're like, who are you inspired by? They might mention one or two people and the connection might not seem clear or they might be reluctant to admit where, they get certain influences from, but I feel like blues people are generally very forthcoming and generous with, oh, I was you know inspired by this guy. I want to play exactly like him. And I don't think you get that a lot in other genres necessarily where people so freely admit, like, if I could just play like that guy, that's what I would just do. And I, I feel like that's, that's something interesting in blues. So um, I think the thing that... I, so between... My dad listening to see Ray Vaughan, and I don't know when I made the connection, but I remember I'm, I'm a big Pearl Jam fan, and I remember reading an interview with Mike McCready where Mike McCready was talking about recording Even Flow, and he was basically like, I was just trying to do my best Steve Ray Vaughan that I could do. And it's so interesting to to listen to a song like that and hear that uh, and and just make that connection so clearly. And so whenever I listen to blues, I just love pulling the threads that basically end up happening with that. So when you listen to one person, you'll look through and you'll be like, oh, they did a cover of like these other three people. And then you'll listen to those other three people and you'll be like, oh, that inspired this guy 30 years later. But also, you know, this female jazz singer from the 30s was influenced by. It. And so. In listening to blues, I feel like it leads you in all kinds of interesting directions. So whenever I listen to someone like Steve Ray Vaughan, it's cool because you're not just listening to Steve Ray Vaughan. You're listening also to Mike McCready and Pearl Jam, and you're listening to Jimi Hendrix, and you're listening to Otis Rush. You're you're just listening to so many different people uh, at the same time, and that's the thing that always makes it kind of cool for me. So I, I always feel like pretty good and and being in this kind of universe of music when, when you listen to blues. Thank you for listening to this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Be sure to visit our webpage at skippedonshuffle.com where we have a blog and links to our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also a YouTube page where we perform 
the songs that we discuss in these episodes. We are trying our best to keep Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free podcast. So if you are interested in helping to support that, please visit our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash skipped on shuffle. Uh, any donations that come there could go straight to keeping uh, Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free experience and go straight to paying for the various costs that are associated with running this podcast.